Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 10. Well, I hope you've been enjoying the episodes this week. Uh, Before we go on, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank thee for waking us refreshed to a brand new day. And we pray now as we open your word together, you'll guide us in its understanding by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in and through the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been going through lessons on the life of Jacob And this uh, week, we've been covering the buying of the birthright, which was what Jacob ended up doing to try and secure what he understood was going to be his eventually. Yesterday, we were looking at the lessons to be learned from Esau selling his birthright to satisfy his appetite. As hungry as he was, some people might argue, well, it wasn't his fault. It was Jacob's for taking advantage of him. Well, it's true that Jacob did wrong by Esau, but we'll learn today that Esau did not have to give in to the tempting dish that Jacob was offering to him. No matter how strong the temptation may be, you see, sin is always our own choice. I want to share with you on this from James chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. Let's read here. James writes this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, let's have a look at this. Uh, This uh, idea here, lust, when uh, it says here, when every man is drawn away of his own lust or in, uh, and enticed, to be drawn away from the place of safety by your lust. Now, what's this word lust mean? Well, it's actually a, a Greek word, epithemia, which is quite neutral in its meaning. It can be, it just mean, purely means desire. Now, those desires can be good or bad. Um, you know, for example, in Philippians 1 verse 23, Paul said here that I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. So, yeah, that's a good desire. But then we read in Romans 7 verse 7, Paul wrote again using the same word. He said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for the, I had not known lust. So Paul's saying, I'm not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. You see, Paul uses lust in one sense as desiring to be with Christ, but then in its negative sense as um lusting after something which is wrong or unlawful. So that's when a desire of the of the flesh, as it were, becomes a desire of the mind. Um, when does that um, when does that happen here in the sense of being unlawful or sin? Well, James says it's when we are enticed. Now that word enticed means to be allured out. It's from an old Greek verb delia, which means literally to bait. So if you've been fishing, you know what I mean. It's like a fish that's hiding under a rock safe. But you allure it out with something you know the fish will enjoy. Something enticing. And then when it comes out and takes the bait, you reel him in. Or else you throw a net over him and catch him. That's what enticing a person is like. Enticing them to sin. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Paul talks about false teachers who walk after the flesh, that is, in accord with their, with their desires of their fallen human nature. 
These false teachers beguile unstable believers to sin. That word beguile is the same word. How? Verse 18, they allure them through the lust of the flesh. To allure, to bait, to beguile. That's what this word means, to entice. These unstable souls who end up being trapped in sin, they had previously escaped the corruptions of the world. Paul says here in verse 20, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But this is the problem. They did not keep a guard over the desires of the flesh, their appetites. You see, temptation is not sin. So let's be clear on that. We're always going to face temptations within and without, as long as we're in this body of flesh. But we do not have to act upon them. James says, desire needs to conceive before it gives birth to sin. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the Greek word means to gather or seize. And it's in, in its uh, technical sense, it's used to mean conceive something. Luke uses the same word when Elizabeth fell pregnant with John the Baptist. And he uses the same word when Mary conceived Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The idea here is conception. Until the seed of a man, in, in the case of uh, you and I, you know, till, till the seed of a, of a male fertilizes the egg of a female, there's no conception. Now, this is the reality in temptation. The temptation will come and entice us through our desires of the flesh. So you can see the temptation is like the seed. The seed comes and entices the desires of our flesh through our natural appetites, as in Esau's case there at the door of Jacob's tent. And as, in, as we saw yesterday in Jesus' case, when after six weeks in the wilderness, his human nature with strong craving called for food. But we do not have to then give in to those cravings and sin. You see, sin is the union of the will with lust. When the will, now that's the governing power in our nature, exercises the choice to entertain the unlawful thought or desire, that is to cherish it, that's when it, lust has conceived or fallen pregnant. Now, usually um, in the case of pregnancy in, in, you know, in, in our Everyday understanding, conception leads to birth and life. But here in James, he's using a paradox where unlawful desire, when it falls pregnant, it brings forth sin. And sin ultimately results in death. We saw that with Adam and Eve. And Paul declares it in Romans 6 verse 23 when he says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the end result. For life to come, we need to be born again. That's why he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how can we stay safe from corrupting temptations that come our way? Well, I've already read it in uh, 2 Peter 2 verse 20. We escape the corruptions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the Apostle Paul gained this knowledge, it changed him. He was a converted man, and each day by choosing to keep his body under the dominion of his mind, he stayed converted. I died daily, he declared, and so must we if we want that same victory.
I want to share uh, with you from another beautiful book. This is called The Ministry of Healing by Ellen White. And she writes this, Feeling the terrible power of temptation, the drawing of desire that leads to indulgence, many a man cries in despair, I cannot resist evil. Well, tell him that he can, that he must resist. He may have been overcome again and again, but it need not be always thus. He is weak in moral power, controlled by the habits of a life of sin. His promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. Is that what yours are like? The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weaken your confidence in your own sincerity and cause you to feel that God cannot accept you or your work with your efforts. But you need not despair. It goes on to say here in the book, those who put their trust in Christ are not to be enslaved by any hereditary or cultivated habit or tendency. Instead of being held in bondage to the lower nature, they are to rule every appetite and passion. God has not left us to battle with evil in our own finite strength. Whatever may be our inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrong, we can overcome through the power that he is ready to impart. That's the Ministry of Healing, pages 174 to 176. So if you're struggling with temptation, as I said in our last episode, don't give up. Don't give in. But if you do fall, don't despair. I'm reading from the same book on page 179. For every soul struggling to rise from a life of sin to a life of purity, the great element of power abides in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name is Jesus. You and I can rise above a life of sin only through the power of Jesus working within. You see, Paul made this clear in Galatians 2 verse 20 when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, to stay free from the corruption of this world, Paul writes in Galatians 5 verse 16, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And in verse 24 he says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So are you walking in the Spirit like Paul did? Or are you following the desires of the flesh and mind and conceiving sin as Esau did? If you're struggling, I want to share with you some helpful words found in Romans chapter 6. Paul explains it that as Christians, our old life of sin has been crucified with Christ and buried with him in the grave. That's what Jesus did. He took all the guilt and and sin of the world and of you and me to the grave with him. But then, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I have been raised from the dead to walk a new life in Christ. Paul explains further from Romans 6 and verse 8 onwards. I'm reading here. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. 
Now, this is it. Verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. This is a decision of the will. You can put to death sin by reckoning yourself dead to it when temptations come. And so Paul goes on to say in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. So in other words, you'll have desires of the flesh, but don't obey them. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, which unrighteousness is ungodly living, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, which is, you know, God, which is um, godly living. For sin, it says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, in case we get confused here, because we're under grace and not under law, that is not under the, the uh, dominion or condemnation, I should say, of the law, what shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Verse 15, Paul says, God forbid, know you not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. That is, if you yield to sin, you're sin servants. He says you become servants of, uh, as it says here, um, being made free from sin. You, um, where I'm reading here, verse 17, but uh, verse 16, sorry. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, that is, if we've done that, um, even so now, Paul's appealing to the Romans, yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So basically, if you've yielded yourself to sin, well, Paul's saying, Paul's saying yield yourself then to righteousness now. You know, in other words, yield your will to God rather than to the unlawful desires of the flesh. Through prayer, James says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, he says in chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. You know, that's the real problem here. We become double-minded as Christians. But you can't serve two masters. Remember that. You need to make the choice to serve God if you want victory over sin. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6 here, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. This is the key to victory over the clamors of our untamed appetite, surrendering to Jesus. But thanks be to God, as Paul says, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have this victory today, but only in Jesus Christ. For there is none other name under heaven, remember, given among men, whereby we must be saved. 
Let's remember that. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your great love and mercy to us. We thank you for giving us this victory in Jesus, the victory over the flesh, the victory over temptation, that we can have that today if we will yield ourselves, our lives and all that we have and are to you constantly. So may we do this today in our walk with thee and help us to be a light and a blessing and an encouragement to the world around us. So we pray this in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. Thanks for listening to the 7am Bible. And wherever you are, wherever you're doing, wherever you're going today, I trust and pray you'll have a great day. So may God bless you. Until next time, I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength. Song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter.
Till he 